0: Hello, welcome to Minding Your Mind, all about your mind, how it works, mental illness and mental health. I'm with Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist and co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. Today we're talking about dementia, nearly half a million Australians have it, about 1.6 million help care for someone with dementia, so together that's over 2 million or about 1 in 12 of us either with dementia or caring for someone with it. Dementia is the second highest cause of death amongst Australians. None of us um, know if we will get it, but what can we do to reduce our risk? And how is progress with treatments and even a cure going? Ian, you wanted to do this episode. Why?
1: Ah, oh, dementia, I think, you know, is one of the things people fear the most as they age. Mm. I fear not being able to move much myself, but I do take for granted that my brain will be intact. And I can see in older generations, I'm in that particular area, uh, as more and more people live long lives because we fix their hearts and we've stopped them getting cancer and we treat other things effectively, that their brain functions as they age and their independence are things that people worry about the most. But it's probably one of the most misunderstood areas. Yeah. Like, for example, you'll just lose your capabilities as you age. No. No. You will be a bit slower, Hmm. but you won't be necessarily cognitive, So we're not all going to dement. Right. And dementia is not one thing. It's a descriptive term. A bit like depression is a descriptive term. There's many different kinds of illnesses that contribute to different kinds of cognitive and behavioral change as we...
0: W- would age. we all dement if we live longer? So, if the no. average, You know, if we live to 100, 120, 130? No. no. No.
1: In fact, as people have lived longer, it turns out that there's a peak age in your 80s. In fact, if you get to 90 mm. or even to 100, you may not. So it appears that some things like Alzheimer's disease might actually go down in oh, their wow. incidence. If you get to be 90 or 95, or that's for Alzheimer's disease. There are certain other kind of things, vascular disease and other particular things that uh, may continue to increase. Mm. So as people have got older, very simplistic ideas about dementia have turned out not to be true. Okay. So- this is a bit of a problem because lots of people who are my age, 60s, just think, oh, okay, I'm going to book into Switzerland <laughs> for the big exit because I'm inevitably going to lose my cognitive capacity and I don't want to lose my cognitive capacity. Right, but they bad. might not. But they may not. Mm. They may struggle in other areas, musculoskeletal ones. They may be slower. That's true. They may have difficulties with their eyesight and their hearing and other sets of things which do age, but not inevitably that they lose their cognitive capacity. And there are many different types of dementia. And there are many different strategies emerging. So is there one cure? No. Is there one cause? No. Are there multiple different things? So what is happening, as many of us live longer, is a huge amount of research in the area into different types. So some people think that dementia and Alzheimer's disease are just the same thing. They're not. In fact, in Alzheimer's disease, there's a strongly genetically determined early onset sort of thing. So some people are very unfortunate. It runs in their families, and they have the genetic liability of getting it in their 50s or 60s. That's rare. The majority of people that have Alzheimer-type pathology is much older, and it tends not to be exclusively of that type. It tends to be mixed with other things due to blood vessel disease, vascular disease, other sets of changes in the brain. So we're learning more and more all the time. And of what things you can do in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s to decrease the chance, Mm. plus also what things might slow the progress of some of those things, like- I got in an argument with some uh, academic friends a little while ago. They weren't in medicine. If you can't cure it, don't bother. I go, hang on a second. What if we could just slow down the progress yeah, of it? Because be- then you'll die of heart disease or stroke or something else, but you'll be largely cognitively intact. You don't have to cure it. Just slowing the progress would be sufficient for most people in a particular way. What are the disease-modifying kind of factors? So while there's a kind of cure kind of idea, most of the research goes on into- Once people have symptoms, once they've noticed certain stuff, can you pick out what's going on in those particular situations and then have strategies or interventions Mm. that would slow the progress on
0: So we'll talk about reducing the risk. We'll talk about slowing the progress when you've got it. Then we'll talk about how medicine might be able to help in the next 20 or 30 years, um, better treatments, and could there ever be a cure? Um, But first, it's the second biggest cause of death amongst Australians. How does it
1: kill you? So what's recorded on death certificates in the end, mm. now what's changed is recording what's the principal kind of disease that a person has. Well, your brain does control everything else. Yeah. It controls how you breathe. It controls how you swallow. It controls how you move. So the complications of dementia, including pneumonia, including problems swallowing, moving, complications of the thing, result in your death. Yeah. So then people say, eventually your heart stopped, right? But the thing that led to the pneumonia, that led to your heart stopping, was actually the decline in your brain function. So Mm. now we record dementia as the principal cause. So it's literally the brain's control over all those other functions that's led to a complication, whether it's a lung or heart or other complication, things that have happened that eventually result in your death.
0: So then dementia is is the brain not working as well, not just in ways- You know, like memory and understanding things, but also in running your whole body.
1: Correct. So that's the other bit I want to emphasize here. Most people think of dementia as I can't remember where I put the car keys. Yeah. Or I can't name certain things, or I've forgotten the names of people I remember, or I parked the car and I can't remember what level of that mall it was on. Mm. I can't find the thing. They usually think of it in memory terms. Memory is just one small part. Now, if you've been very good at those things your whole life and suddenly you're not, well, you might notice that. But often other people notice other things, behavioral changes, personality changes, irritability, apathy, different sorts of ways, moodiness in certain kinds of ways that actually are not simply memory. So one of the issues here about looking at cognitive function and emotional function, other people notice other things very importantly early these days, and the subject of research of many of my close friends and colleagues is sleep related. Changes in sleep function that are not simply due to aging, but might be early signs of brain, uh, loss of brain control over the sleep-wake mechanism, Right. for example. Mobility-related issues. So looking Parkinsonian, like being slow and being sort of stumbling, mm. motor changes. And then there are other sets of things the brain is actually controlling, immune function, cardiovascular function. So like many of our things, James, it ain't just about one cognitive capacity yep. memory. It's a whole physiology that is changing as a consequence of loss of brain function and control, that big central organising thing for the rest of your physiology, starting to deteriorate.
0: So in reducing the risk of dementia, it seems like most of the recommended things to do are consistent with basically staying in good physical health and good mental health anyway, which is good. It'd be irritating if it was the exact opposite, like staying good mental health for-
1: <laughs> By lying around eating fat food and smoking. Yeah, that's yeah. right.
0: So there's take care of your diet, exercise, try not to smoke or drink too much alcohol, keep up social activity, keep up mental activity. So, so let's th- break
1: these down a few because yeah. you're quite right. The The-, the First set go with better vascular health, blood vessel. Mm. They are preventing heart attack. They're preventing stroke, and much under discussed, although <laughs> it's been discussed for hundreds of years, is actually the importance of blood vessel health. Right. So your brain requires oxygen to come through up the blood vessels, just like everything else. And not just to the big arteries, which run up, and if they go wrong, you have a stroke, but the little vascular components, the little blood vessels that run throughout the brain. And these are things affected by diabetes, hypertension, other sets of issues. So very strong vascular health. So the same thing that saves your heart and stops having a stroke. So this is where smoking, diabetes, high blood pressure, and the consequence of this physical activity, good diet, does really matter. And the mechanism is via, firstly, good blood vessel health. Mm. So those things really do matter. The second bit... Around social connection and activity and cognitive activity, this is maybe our other one of our episodes, Never Retire, is your brain responds to what the external environment is doing. So you want the brain to continue to make synaptic connections, to do things. You need to stay engaged socially, mentally, physically. So when you say,
0: I I think we know what being engaged socially is, it's ensuring you have a lot of social contact, but mentally. So exactly. A lot of
1: people don't. A lot of people go, I'm retiring, I'm retreating, I'm just going to talk to my few friends. Yes. Consequence of loss of other abilities. So not that people necessarily mean to, although this social pressure to retire and just disappear to your garden and talk to nobody or the beach. But also because physically they're having trouble. So uh, yeah, their mobility has declined.
0: It's harder to do it.
1: Or their hearing has declined. Or they've got other sets of challenges. So the and people go, Well, you're old, you know, you probably should just go to the couch and go to bed early and not go out much and you really shouldn't travel, you really shouldn't engage, you shouldn't do anything new. You know, mm. so other kinds of problems, and I think plus a social pressure that sits around that, says it's best coped with by retreating. Yeah. Forget it. There's a really good reason to go out there and replace hips and knees and fix people and allow them to be mobile and, and also not force people to retire at 65 or not do other things, but to engage, to volunteer, to stay engaged with the grandchildren, to go and do stuff with others, mm. learn new tasks and stuff. So the brain needs that stimuli. We've got a social situation which I think is built around a lot of other previous physical restrictions, the assumption the rest of us would fall apart, which from a brain point of view are really wrong. Yeah. So that's, that's a direct environmental stimuli issue.
0: Right. But in terms of mental activity, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, you've got to do a lot of sudokis. Now, it's, it's wider than that, isn't it?
1: It is. So I, made, I was, <laughs> so I think I mentioned this before. I once had the pleasure of having a beer with Bob Hawke a few years before he died, who was marvellously social and engaged and gave a great speech at Sydney University telling people what they really should be doing. And then he said it was because he did Sudoku every day. I went, I don't really think that's true. (laughs) He thought it was true. Other people say that doing Sudoku every day kept him so mentally alert. Oh, right. I was saying, hang on a second. You're out here telling people what to do. He was incredibly engaged with young people. He was giving a speech, you know, Mm. telling Tanya Plevisek what to do, and he was (laughs) He was marvellous. He was incredibly socially engaged. I don't think it was the Sudoku that was doing it. But he he was making an effort. mm. No, but I'm just wondering, uh,
0: they say, some of the experts say, you should be socially engaged to reduce your risk of dementia, but you should also do mental activity. Whereas you, I guess you're blurring those
1: categories together. So the most important mental activity we do every day is interacting with groups of people, reading faces, understanding social cognition. It's complex. Mm. It's much more complicated than if you get really good at Sudoku, you'll be really good at Sudoku. Yeah. If you're doing the times crossword every day or doing cryptic crossword, you'll get really good at that. Now, that does have uh, a capability, a skill, a development, and some of the ones that are word-based. So I saw a thing recently was looking at word-based mm. things like crosswords versus other particular things. Oh, and that wordle. That sort of stuff. And, in fact, it turned out to have additional benefit really? compared with some of the attentional things, which I hated. I hate. Damn I it. I hate those things. I hate that thing too. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping this is where research is This is why research is fun. You know, I was back on the other horse. Mm. There'd be no real difference. See, I, I
0: like uh, card games, but I hate Scrabble. So I hate all the word wordle. I hate all the kind of spelling
1: stuff. Okay, but the wordle ones and all the crossword but ones. They're really good for it. They're very good at the semantic aspects yes, of memory. Are. So they're good at the wordiness. Mm. Now, unfortunately, wordiness does matter for us. We have a lot of, we rely a lot on wordiness, yeah. <laughs> verbal, so, verbal. So I skills. guess the take out
0: of that is don't. Don't think mental activity is just doing Sudoku or it's, – it's, it's problem solving. And every time you have a conversation with someone, you're kind of problem solving. You're thinking, what did they say? What did they really mean? What is my best response to that? And you're doing all that unconsciously, but it's mental activity that's good for you. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes. So those studies – and I was asking – Great friends and colleagues, Henry Bradati, about this, an aging expert recently, learning new languages. Is it really true, Henry? Is it really true? Is there hope for me? Yes. I said, yes, and there's hope for you yet. Oh, goodness. You know, <laughs> Thank goodness. I'm determined to learn Spanish or Italian or something decent.
0: Right.
1: You know, even though I really, really struggle with it. Now, the challenge associated with that is large, mm. but that's exactly what you should be doing. I made the remark elsewhere, I wish I'd learned to play a musical instrument once in my life and I've failed several times. Even though the motor aspect and the concentration are hard, they're things worth doing. If you, and then it was a value you want to do it, but the socialising aspect, the social thing, is probably the most important. Okay. That we stay socially engaged. Now that when you're facing other challenges, that's difficult. And I think some of these are, as I say, things like hearing. So people with deafness get hearing aids early. So physical so, mobility, get those knees and hips replaced. Stay engaged
0: because getting your knee fixed or your hearing aid won't in itself you know reduce the risk of dementia but it'll will allow you to do all the social things that reduce the risk that of you dementia. otherwise withdraw
1: yeah. so otherwise a lot of older people withdraw because they're struggling in those things they just don't have the opportunity that you have when you're younger and fitter. You take for granted.
0: And in fact, one of the specific things, I I left one out when I went through our list of things you should do to reduce the risk of dementia, diet exercise, smoking alcohol, not too much, social activity, mental activity, and look after your hearing. And that's for precisely that reason. Yeah,
1: so (laughs) terrible thing about which are the worst sets of disabilities. But really from a human cognition point of view, hearing impairment is Mm. worse than many others. We are so reliant on conversation or interaction on what, understanding what people say. I mean, the the marvel of language. Although,
0: I mean, to be fair, if you've been deaf through your life, you have, you know, worked out ways of communicating with people and, you know, might have very rich communicating with people by, uh, is it Aslan, sign language? but, But if it happens to you when you're 75, it might be difficult to learn all that.
1: Yes, you're not going to suddenly take that up at that period. In fact, what I was really uh, glad to hear in recent times was the extent to which quite a deal of older people were being offered not just hearing aids, but cochlear implants and other particular things. I really like this. People go, oh, that's terrible. No, that's great. That would be really good if they could do that sooner rather than later.
0: By the way, I said Aslan, i.e. the lion in the Narnia books rather than (laughs) Oslan. My apologies for the- um,
1: Well, people, I mean, people who have had- uh, hearing impairments since birth have had to develop and have developed yeah. other communication devices, other languages. So, yes, but this remains for the rest of us who've relied on traditional hearing, yeah. et cetera, and it deteriorates. People just tend to withdraw. Yeah. I mean, because they're finding it very irritating, they don't really understand, so they just kind of go
0: mm. backwards. Yeah. Okay. So now that's prevention. led us to or reducing the risk. Let's us talk about when it starts to happen, when early stages of dementia occur. What can you do behaviorally to to slow its progress?
1: So there's the external things that you can do to support your functioning despite it's happening. Yes. Okay, so this is where people are using, you know, memory devices, they're using memory aids, they're using and, – and with their family and others, not simply withdrawing, I'll oh, leave him behind, he can't remember anything, we'll just leave him at home. Continuing to engage with stuff, even if you're not able to fully – you know, by making lists, by using routines, by putting the keys always in the same place, by using other cues, by using things that remind people. So whole sets of memory aids – and and behavioural aids to continue to allow people to function, so they stay engaged. So okay. presumably
0: the early days are vital to actually get out of denial and recognise that it's it might happening. be happening, and perhaps you need some, you know, someone external to actually give you an assessment of whether they think it might be happening, because it might be hard to work it out for yourself. Like you know if your knees sore, but do you know if you're getting early stages of dementia?
1: No, and people make. Mistakes. Some research I was associated with some time ago. Anyone who's getting older, who's having memory difficulties, thinks, oh, my God, it's dementia. What do I not want to have? Dementia. Mm. So what do I do? Deny it. Yeah. Because I don't want to be told that. So I'll just pretend it's not happening. (laughs) Now, often, the cause is not what you think it is. So my favorite, for example, late-life depression. Often, depression causes cognitive impairment in older people, but their depression is treatable. There are other things – low thyroid function, other physical complaints that actually cause cognitive impairment, but are themselves treatable. Right. So you well. don't have dementia. You do have cognitive impairment. It is associated with an illness, but the illness itself is not one of the dementias. So It's that, treatable.
0: Does that mean if you start to have some cognitive impairment, go and get it checked out?
1: Yes. So one of the big deficits- do we spend a lot of this podcast on deficits in the health system, James? Mm-hmm. So one of the huge deficits outside the ones I'm really interested in directly, mental health, are those related to proper assessment of people with cognitive impairment. Yes. So many, many stories I hear people with have gone to a GP or they've gone to whatever else, they didn't do so well on some screening test, some simple memory and other tests, and said, oh, well, that's bad. Well, you're demented. Things will just go very badly after this. And go, hang on, that's not true. On the other hand, some people have gone and done some very simple screening tests and done okay because they're memory-based. Oh, you don't have dementia. And go. Hang on, their friends and relatives are saying hmm. they've had all these personality changes, they've had these other changes. He's, you know, He used to be a university professor, now he can barely you know, watch the evening news You know, kind of stuff. Clearly, for his level of capability, that test is relatively insensitive. So one of the problems we have is inadequate assessment of people with early stages of cognitive change. You need to know what the problem is for you, and is there an intervention available to either fix the problem, or what is the nature of the problem? Is it early Alzheimer's disease? Is it vascular related? Is it another kind of unusual dementia? What is it? And is there an emerging line of treatment or intervention to at least slow the progress of that?
0: So knowing that misdiagnosis is not uncommon, from what you say, uh, what should people do? Like, you know, ha- how do you make sure you get a good diagnosis?
1: Now, this, is the, this is why we do these podcasts. Do this to... is the empowered consumer. Yeah. Yes. So the reality is if you think you're in this situation, you need specialized assessment. Just doing a simple Which memory screening on. test, attending one of those clinics or one of those services or one of those health professionals that actually has expertise in this area right. to detect early, is it a dementia syndrome or some other treatable illness? So what, do
0: you, what do you Google to find the nearest one of them to you? What? Yes.
1: Yeah. No, so no, what do you Google? Specialized memory or dementia assessment services.
0: Specialized memory de- yeah. dementia.
1: Assessment. assessment services. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This is not something that a simple screening test or, or well, people try and diagnose themselves online too. It's okay to do the online screening test and go, mm, it's a bit they're actually quite helpful. Oh, yeah, I struggled a bit with that. What I need now is to find out what is really going on, what is really the next step. And is it something particular? Now, this is where you need information. What runs in your family? Mm. What other sets of tests might you have? So there's a lot of debate worldwide And taken forever, because I'm a bit annoyed about this, the use of appropriate brain scanning. I think we should have been doing this ages ago, but we haven't because of the way Medicare works and systems work, et cetera, to try and sort out the different kinds of dementia syndromes, vascular risk versus other pictures you see in Alzheimer's disease. Now, this is going to become even more relevant because just last month, finally, one of the trials of a new set of immunological treatments that helps to dissolve one of one of the key what is thought to be toxic agents in dementia amyloid protein accumulation in the brain for the first time one of these treatments appeared to have actual benefit mm. now this has taken 30 years of argument to try and find does dissolving amyloid deposits in the brain actually have a benefit particularly early in the stage of the disease many failed trials previously but to find that out, you need to have a certain kind of brain scan, PET scan in advance, then we're going to have this. So this is going to happen worldwide, happening in the US now, and there'll be large food drug administration, FDA, this will come with the Australian kind of years. But we are on the threshold of new sets of differential treatments, depending on the type really? that you've got. So finally, there is some real progress on a line of um, treatment pursued by many famous Australian researchers like Colin Masters in Melbourne, who've been pursuing the right this horse for 30 years, some- genuine uh, hope on that particular horizon for those who might be in that area. Now, for <laughs> others, and the ones I care about, are vascular-rated. I've been <laughs> I'm tied up with a different kind of brain scanning, MRI brain scanning, which you see blood vessel disease very easily or other sets of changes, for which there are different strategies mm. that would be appropriate, and these new other strategies would not be appropriate. So differentiation here into different types, different pathways, and we're now at the point of, okay, which sorts of things might be relevant to you?
0: So, if you got a sore throat, a GP will refer you to a ear, nose, and throat specialist. If you're a kid, a paediatrician. To they, what what are these specialists? They refer people with. Uh, suspected dementia too, and yes. what are they? So called? there
1: are well, there are various sets of neurologists and psychiatrists that specialise in this area. There are often memory clinics or dementia clinics at large public hospitals and larger tertiary referral hospitals. Go somewhere where there's expertise. Yeah. There are many simplistic GP assessments or simplistic GP referrals to certain other services where that degree of assessment does not take place. Right, because in the past. <laughs> We didn't have the technologies. We didn't have the expertise. Yes. We certainly didn't have the, thre- the possibility of being as actively involved in there might be things to be done.
0: So how do you find out which ones have good expertise and which ones don't?
1: Well, the, the ones that run under – Like s-
0: Joe, Joe Blow, like me.
1: Not, so,
0: those- not Ian Hickey, like you. You just know <laughs>
1: Well, this is where the internet is a marvelous thing. Mm. You go to dementia assessment clinics, you go to large public, hospi- large public hospitals, right. university-associated hospitals, large assessment either. They're usually called memory assessment clinics. Mm. Ones I'm associated with are called healthy brain aging right. or they're called dementia clinics. Right. And you get to one of those because there's expertise. And usually it's multidisciplinary expertise. It's not just one doctor or one person going, oh, I think you're demented or not. And I see tragic cases of where people have never really been assessed and they've been told something by one doctor or one person mm. that really did not cut to the chase. Mm. And yet the implications for that family or for others has been huge. Yeah. And that was in the past because of a sort of therapeutic nihilism, you know, nothing to be done. this right. dementia, bad luck, so yeah. why find out? You know, whereas now the situation is changing. Why I was so keen to do this episode is it's a changing situation. Mm. So. If you're in the situation, family member in the situation, get yourself to one of the good clinics. And they're likely to involve psychiatrists, neurologists, neuropsychologists, other people who assess these things. They may involve brain scanning, they may involve certainly physical assessment, and hopefully some degree of breaking it down into what's probably going on in your situation. Is it early stage? something called mild cognitive impairment, MCI, early stage of something. We're not sure what it is, but here's what you do. Here's what we track. We monitor the progress. And as these various sets of other investigations, brain and other, become available, do we monitor it over time? So we kind of work out, I'm making pictures here, how quickly something is changing over time or is it not changing over time? In the past, many dementia diagnoses made at one point in time were not true 12 months later. So people were told I was demented. They right. can talk. am coming to weeks later, no, I'm not. <laughs> Actually, that was a period of my life from which I have not progressed. So the inevitably progressive, inevitably goes bad. It just isn't true in a lot of situations. By contrast, there are other people. Where families or others have been in denial about the whole thing, no one really wants to know. So they've put off doing anything, saying it's okay. She still reads a book, she still has television, she still rings her, she still remembers her kids' names. There's no problem. You go, well, actually, no, there is. Mm. Huge. And this affects, you know, decision making about estates and planning and what's to be done and impact on others. So it's very distressing to operate without good advice Mm. and without expertise.
0: So, you find the right medical treatment and you do what they tell you, but what can you do behaviourally to slow the progress?
1: So we've got two things. So the, the medical thing is at this moment focused on illness-modifying treatments, things that would slow hmm. rather than cure. And you know, if delivered early enough and you slow it enough, as we've discussed, <laughs> or as a friend of mine said about her husband last night, oh, don't worry, he'll be dead long before that happens. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. the goal. That's my goal yeah. is to be dead before I dement. Yeah. Yeah. So illness-modifying treatments, even though they're not curative, is still an important goal. Mm. The other bits that we need to do is the attending to our general health, particularly vascular health, as you alluded to earlier on, the smoking, diabetes, hypertension, diet, exercise stuff. Yep. So sleep-wake cycle stuff, maintaining your sleep-wake cycle, so staying active during the particular period. To maintain good sleep. So sleep wake cycle it can get
0: challenging when you're older, can't
1: it? So it gets worse. So one of the problems that dementia or brain change affects is to make that disruptive. So that means you've got to do more of that stuff that we endlessly go on about: physical activity during the day, sunlight exposure during the day, trying to regulate that cycle because the internal mechanism is on the blink. So actually, doing now there again there are interesting kind of things happening in terms of. Uh, additional treatments to try and assist with that, depending on the nature of that sleep disturbance. So there are some medical treatments that help, but also there are- You mean are, like sleeping pills? I don't mean the ordinary sleeping pills. Right. I think things like melatonin, melatonin. right? Hormone or other things for other particular sleep disturbances that happen that have different medications. They're not ordinary sedatives. No, I don't mean ordinary sedatives, hmm. but trying to maintain a sleep-wake cycle. But a lot of that depends on physical activity, sunlight exposure, and stuff during the day. Now, you've got a lot of arthritis. And just a quick
0: reminder- First, most important thing to get your sleep-wake cycle going, when you wake up, ideally not long after the sun comes up, do two things, get some direct sunlight in your eyes and do some physical activity.
1: Yep. And so what happens to old people? They don't do either. Uh, have a seat over in the chair. I'll get you a cup of tea. And move, move, move. Those people you see down on our great beaches, those people you see outside doing Tai Chi in the morning, they got it right. Mm. Or so just walk on the around- block. Even walk around the block. But if
0: you do that soon after you awake, walk around the block in the sun gets your motor started, doesn't As
1: it? As I do. Walk to the coffee shop, yeah. preferably one that has sunlight <laughs> mm. while you engaged in those other favorite activities. Yes. So this becomes even more important. But of course, many of the things that older people are facing challenging-wise tend to mitigate against that mm. and in particular ways. So the staying engaged. So th- the other things that we do socially, behaviorally, sleep-wake cycle-wise, these are the things that actually also assist. Yeah. Now, often people need assistance with that. So a lot of older people get abandoned Mm. in particular ways. One of the most interesting sets of studies I ever uh, ever saw, which I really loved, was grandparents taking care of grandkids. If you want to make grandparents active, put them with their grandkids. (laughs) And it's marvellous for the cognitive development of both. Grandparents stay smarter. Kids develop other sets of characteristics. So the kids challenge them to make a move. I saw a marvelous thing with a Japanese robot some years ago in an old person's facility. And the robot, you can say to the robot, make me a cup of tea. Guess what the robot says? Would you like to get up and help? <laughs> <laughs> I've got the cup of tea. You come over here. <laughs> get out of the chair. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. But it was, you know, actually smart. Mm. In terms of encouraging that kind of interaction, not just encouraging, because we've got other difficulties, we're going to stop doing things that actually are important to maintaining brain health. And then brain regulation of all those other things, your blood pressure to prevent falls, to maintain your balance, do all those other things that brains are doing to keep you alive.
0: Uh, Social activity... Yes, problem solving. Problem-solving. Yep. There's a two-in-one here on the uh, YouTube. You can find lots of exercises for old people, older people, senior people, um, to maintain their balance. So if you do that, good for your brain, learning to balance on one leg, and hopefully reduces your risk of having a fall.
1: It reduces falls. It does other things. This is where Zoom – You know, yoga online, choirs online, social groups online, games you were earlier on. There are people who are playing, I know people who are playing uh, Monopoly and they're playing Scrabble, older people, Mm -hmm. online against world competition all the time. So despite other restrictions that they have, they're actually really engaged Mm -hmm. from a brain point of view in those activities. Yeah. So I think this is where technology, again, people go, oh, people can't use technology. Actually, technology is actually a boom in this area, you know, really assistive. The smart, engaging types of technology, not just Sudoku online or Crossword online, but doing it in groups, doing it with other people, staying connected, joining in pleasurable things. I love the choir online sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, the yoga online, the balancing online, the active online. Mm.
0: And you Where can you can restrictions? And you can find, you think, oh, that sounds a bit vigorous, but you can, on YouTube, you can find for, for 70-year-olds, for 80-year-olds, for 90-year-olds, like- you know, there are very specific.
1: Yes, I've found that. Yes, uh, yes. Well, no, I, I need one that's sympathetic to my current decade. Yes.
0: Uh, progress on medical treatments.
1: Yes. So It's coming. To, it, no, it's happening. Good. Finally, finally, we have these new immunological treatments that are developing, uh, better modification of these blood vessel type approaches, better characterization. So the, the key here is knowing what it is in your situation and whether there's a treatment that's being developed that relates to the type of dementia or type of Mm -hmm. decline that you have. So this is where just on average do everything isn't so smart because people also need to know and they need to track what is happening to their own cognitive change. How fast is it going? So not just as a one-off diagnostic, but often what you need to do is track that over some months or period and so sometimes it's a matter of repeated scanning repeated issues to be clear over a 6 month period or over a 12 month period what is really happening right people don't keep good records and people don't track that so sometimes you can't sort it all out in one trip to the clinic
0: yeah from that the implication is if you do feel or or you or or someone close to you has you know, early onset dementia, it is a good idea, as we've said about other areas of mental health, to track it. You know, keep some records. What happened today? How were they? Because impressions are really inaccurate. feels like, you know, he's been forgetting more things. But if you can say, well, I noticed in the last week, 11 instances where he forgot words, that's far more accurate than, yeah, it's happening a bit.
1: Not only that, we now have a lot of what used to be very expensive neuropsychological tests. You ever seen those people doing tests, you know, there's memory cards across the table from a rig. More and more of them online. You mm. can actually track more of them on, You can test your own memory online. You can test other things. You can test these word findings. And you can see what is actually happening. Is the person's memory, is the person's word finding capability, is some other aspect, their reaction time, actually changing or not? Mm. So the impressionistic thing is disastrous. People tell stories all the time. Oh, no, he remembers as many things as he used to. Oh no, he's forgotten everything. You know, well, last week he had a bad week or something. You know, because one of the other ha- things that happens is that people's c- capability older people fluctuates. Sometimes they've got a urinary tract infection. Sometimes they've got a chest infection. Sometimes something else happens, and their cognitive function is some substantially worse then, but not ongoing. It's due to the intercurrent other problem, hmm. and it actually comes back again. So you can see situations where it fluctuates, and although they might have had a bad result once, it is or is not indicative of what the real situation is. Yeah. Others who tell you it's all fine, you can see actually over three or six or 12 months a progressive decline. Gather you your own
0: function. data as much as you can.
1: So this is where assistive, okay, don't be afraid of it. Yeah. This is where families and others and the person themselves, because then in terms of planning, in terms of what you do, and and, and then in terms of access to what might be assistive interventions becomes much more feasible.
0: So finally, will there be a cure? Can there, could there be a cure
1: for certain kinds of dementia? We aren't there yet. Are we in the threshold of seriously illness-modifying um, interventions? Yes. So it's going to be matching horses for courses. Yeah. Some of the very strongly genetically determined, very strong family things of early onset, we're a long way off. Some of the other stuff that's going to affect many, many more of us to a mild degree in later life, we're a lot closer to modifying that, so that most of us will not dement. As we age.
0: And if you think about it, I mean, a cure would be great, but more than most other illnesses, slowing the progress would be really important. I mean, if you get cancer when you're 40 and you can slow the progress from death in five years to death in 10 years, that's some benefit. But if you get dementia when you're 80 and you can slow the progress so you're pretty functional for 10 years, well, by then you'll probably be dead of something else.
1: Correct. Yeah. So we've got into a catch-22 at the moment. We've done such a good job with cancer care, such Mm. a good job with heart care and with blood vessel care, that many older people now are living into their 80s. And the bit we haven't done well enough at is exactly that, the illness modifying, slowing the progress. So I'm on the group that thinks slowing the progress is really important. Mm. The simple curative idea is too simplistic. The great majority of people will benefit from illness modifying, illness slowing interventions. And they will then. Most of us die of other stuff, with our cognitive and emotional functions largely intact.
0: Yeah, yeah, great. And let's—we are all going to die. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah
1: apparently. So,
0: <laughs> so the best way to die is probably with your cognitive and emotional—that and that's physical goal. Functions intact.
1: We want to. Uh, that's the thing. Is the goal? I don't. I don't think the you know the living forever people. Apparently, there are people out there who want to live forever, but you know, I don't think that's the goal. Most people want to have quality of life up until some acute event that takes them out.
0: Yeah hopefully in the distant future. good any questions, comments, suggest further topics for us, please do send us an email at mindingyourmind2 at gmail.com. That's mindingyourmind, numeral 2, at gmail.com. The book version of Minding Your Mind is out, written by us, covers lots of things we discuss. Our podcast is supported by Future Generation Global and the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health. Further help's available from Headspace, Beyond Blue, Head to Health and Lifeline. Google them. We can call Lifeline on one three double one one four.